This podcast is brought to you by Capstone Law. Capstone Law provides premium legal services to help New Zealand businesses complete deals and resolve commercial disputes. You can learn more at capstonelaw.nz. My name is Kenneth Sun. I'm a lawyer and a former software engineer. You're listening to Capstone Business Talks, a podcast about the better ways to work and to grow a profitable business. Hello and welcome to another episode of Capstone Business Talks. Our guest on today's episode is Lachlan Nixon, who's the investment manager at Pacific Channel. Pacific Channel is a uh, early stage investment firm that invests in deep technology ventures in New Zealand. And since 2006, Pacific Channel has invested over 50 million New Zealand dollars in technology companies uh, across New Zealand. And Lachlan's role is to evaluate the businesses seeking investment and to assist them in growth of the business in their portfolio. And you can find out more at www.pacificchannel.com and you can find out more about Lachlan in his uh, LinkedIn profile in the show notes. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us, Lachlan. No, thank you for having me. Um, so, Lachlan, can you tell us um, some of the uh, successful Kiwi businesses that uh, Pacific Channel has invested in? Yes, certainly. Um, so, first of all, uh, as Kenneth's mentioned, we're an early stage investment firm focused on what we call deep technology. Mm-hmm. Um, and by that, I mean companies built around science and engineering innovation. Um, we've got a very particular focus on IP and developing uh, world-class ventures built from New Zealand in, in these areas. Um, probably our best success story is a company called Engenda Technologies, uh, which uh, has a really good story behind it. So we, we approached the University of Auckland in 2012 with five problems uh, we thought that were significant uh, efficiency barriers in the dairy industry, mm-hmm. um, which we thought could be solved by technology. And one of those problems was uh, the fact that dairy farmers aren't able to control the, the sex of their offspring. Obviously, a female uh, uh, calf is milk producing, um, whereas a male um, is essentially useless because they're bred <laughs> for their dairy characteristics. Right. And a physics professor um, from the University of Auckland, Professor Katha Simpson, uh, thought that she might be able to separate bull sperm cells uh, using light. Actually, it was she's a photonics and microfluidics specialist. So we set out on a on a, a lengthy and ambitious project. Um, uh, formed a private company, uh, Pacific Channel, kind of in, was integral at the start and invested in every capital raising round. Um, and what we ended up with uh, was a device uh, about the size of a. I suppose, your standard dinner table, um, which was able to separate bull sperm cells um, by sex. So it turns out the the female bull sperm cells were a little bit brighter than the males when you you shone a light on them, and we were able to separate them into two separate channels. Um, And we sold that company in end of 2018 to a large uh, multinational animal genetics company. Wow. And... Yeah, we're really excited there, actually rolling the product out. Um, so for the first time, farmers will be able to afford cost-effective sex semen. So uh, essentially, if you're a farmer, you'll be able to buy a vial of semen, which you can artificially inseminate into your uh, chosen cow. Mm-hmm. And 
that will produce a milk-producing female um, with about 98% of the time, um, rather than having unwanted uh, bobby calves, male calves, which yeah. currently are actually knocked on the head in New Zealand immediately after birth, um, right. which is a big problem. Yeah. So. That was a fantastic investment success for us. We're also pleased that it's a very New Zealand-centric story. Um, and subsequent to acquisition, that the acquirer has uh, hired uh, a number of people, um, tens if not hundreds of people in, in right. New Zealand to, to, to execute um, on the opportunity. So we're really pleased about the, the job creation as well. Yeah, that's amazing. And the R&D is based in New Zealand. The R and D is all based in New Zealand. It's, it's essentially a spin out of the University of Auckland. Yeah. Um, uh, still a large operation based in New Zealand, although it's owned by a, a European company now. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's uh, that's amazing. Um, any other businesses that um, you can uh, share to us about uh, in terms of um, you know uh, really growing and, and thriving? Yeah. Well, in, in our first fund, um, which we've just uh, fully closed. Um, by that I mean kind of liquidated after uh, eight odd years, mm-hmm. ten almost ten years actually of investing. Yeah. Um, made thirty one investments, so yes. gender was one of those, and, and one of the most successful. Um, uh, there's a few other ones I'd call uh, as being successful. Uh, a few that kind of failed spectacularly, right. um, and and a lot in the middle, which which vary from kind of developing into a lifestyle business, which mm-hmm. which made sense at the time, but I suppose wasn't really the outcome we were hoping to achieve when we mm. invested, um, and some that are still looking actually quite good in, in their growth prospects. Um, yeah. Another one particularly that, that, that went well, uh, it was a company called Eco Diesel. Um, yeah. So we, it's a clean tech company. We, we developed a process to turn waste animal fat, uh, tallow, into a biodiesel product. Oh, okay. Um, and we sold that to Z Energy, and it's now a, a component of the uh, uh, mix that they sell to to large corporates. Um, so. Wow. Um, okay. Well, Lachlan, can you uh, tell us um, what are some of the most important things you look for in a business when you are making that investment decision? Yeah. Okay. Um, well, we're reasonably quirky in that. We're essentially an office full of technophiles. <laughs> so, you know, many of my colleagues' jobs is to walk the halls of the universities, so to speak, looking for uh, great technologies. Um, and, and that's where it starts. But the real key in our dis- investment decision-making process is actually the market. So um, we, we say in our kind of key investment thesis, um, this technology, uh, which is often what it is when it comes to us, needs to be solving a significant uh, existing or future market problem. Um, And we talk about that problem needing to be an ice pick in the customer's eye, um, excuse the the crude analogy, rather than a kind of speck of dust on their shirt. So it's not a nice to have, it's a need to have. Um, uh, And our best best investments, I think, uh, have been successful because for a lot of their customers, the, the, the new technology poses an existential threat, um, mm. which I think in gender was uh, in, in, in um, uh, that market. So I think the key kind of investment decision, obviously the technology and the plan and the team um, are all important, um, but the, the key thing we focus on is how big of a problem this is solving. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, and do you find that um, with the you know the the scientists um, and the engineers that you 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 know who come up with these ideas, um, what happens if some of them are not entrepreneurial? Do you, do you yeah. come across that? Yeah, so it's it's a big problem in our business uh, actually that we are taking uh, these things from research institutions and trying to build entrepreneurial uh, businesses around that. It's a big culture clash. Um, uh, And, you know, often, say, an academic involved wants to see the technology commercialized, um, Mm. but they don't see themselves as a founder, CEO of a private company. Um, They have usually a thriving academic career. Yeah. So there's a lot of recruitment we have to do is, is the answer to your question. Um, yeah. And we, we do have a kind of pool of, I suppose, drop-in CEO founder types who we've worked with or who we like to insert into these businesses. Yeah. Um, uh, it's, a, it's a matching process because they need to be able to effectively engage with, with the academic around some quite technical uh, areas. Yeah. But it, it's it's... A very different uh, type of person and skill set. Um, usually, um, sometimes we do get a, a, a academic uh, turned entrepreneur. Um, yep. In fact, I think I've got a strong cognitive bias to, towards that. When yep. when I see one, um, yes. uh, we tend to tend to get really excited. Um, but the other thing I'd say is is universities and research institutes in New Zealand are, are dramatically moving towards uh, commercialization as mm. a and kind of market uh, output is a key uh, metric for defining how successful a university is. Um, yeah. Traditionally, they've looked at you know publications mm. um, uh, as a source of prestige, um, but increasingly in the modern world, um, and there's certainly a few universities in New Zealand which are starting to be really quite focused on this, um, mm. commercialization is seen as a really credible um, uh, and effective way for a university to, to um, spend its time. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think um, you know the the work that you guys are doing is fantastic. It really is that um, that marriage between science and technology with um, business, um, and you play a very important role in that. Um, well, thank you very much. Uh, so, for a business, um, what would you recommend a business? What what can it do to make itself investment ready? Yeah, so I do think that's that's typically that's a great question because it's typically not well understood, and that's probably a, a, a an investor communication problem. Um, so we, right. you know, New Zealand has a very small early stage investment industry, and. Um, uh, I, I don't think what we are looking for is well understood, um, and that's 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 our own problem, I suppose. But um, uh, what what we're looking for is a really well defined plan, um, really. So um, often uh, there's a you know a, a dream and a, a base for that dream, um, but in in executing uh, on that dream, uh, often it's 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 not very well defined. Um, so we've we've uh, come up with a model where we really really help people um, to define that. Um, uh, we weren't really receiving uh, investment ready uh, companies in our area every day um, knocking on our door looking for investment. So. What what we have to do is really help the companies become investment ready, and and that that's you know as I say working on the plan, um, uh, recruiting, uh, 
uh, trying to find a uh, you know world class board of teams, um, trying to do initial kind of customer due diligence and market due diligence, um, which is often very important for our investment decision, as I say, but it's probably underdone by uh, academics um, looking to commercialise something. Uh, so, yeah, there's all manner of things. I think there's obviously always going to be a disconnect between ideally what investors want and, and what entrepreneurs and academics uh, uh, are the stage they want to get the company to before taking on investment um, mm. because often our companies can't actually do anything without money because they're, they're pre-revenue. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's different for every business, but but there's a lot of investment readiness work that, that we have to do along with companies um, prior to, to, to our cash going in. Mm. Um, and a um, related question. So what characteristics do you think a company founder should be looking for in an investor? Yeah, okay. Um, so... I think it's 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 a matching process, as I say, um, uh, between investors and companies. Uh, we have a fairly defined niche in New Zealand in, in, in kind of deep technology companies. Um, mm-hmm. There's a few other investors out there, and it's actually an increasing number, which is excellent for us. We want more um, investors supporting these kinds of companies and, and investing with us as well. Um, but we generally only, as I say, focus on science and engineering-based companies, and within that, you know, there's areas of technology and market areas which we gravitate towards um, for, for, for the sole reason that we've worked in them before or the individuals have expertise in, in those areas. Um, so, for example, out of Engender, where we're now... Um, microfluidics experts um, and mm-hmm. so any microfluidics technology that comes across our desk we're, we're all over it um, whereas other areas of, of, of science and engineering where we just wouldn't know anything about um, so I think if you're a, if you're a founder or, or, or looking for investment the, the key thing is to really assess the history of the, the investor um, uh, because they're unlikely to support a business in an industry they, they don't understand, um, mm. and and you know we're only uh, we're only human and, and trying to do the best we can with with I suppose limited resources, um, and so matching your uh, investor approaches I suppose with with to to investors that are in your exact area um, I think would be a, a really good strategy. Um, Often, I think uh, founders can take a bit of a, a blanket approach in that they send emails to hundreds of investors, uh, even if they're not right in their area, um, in the hope that something falls out of the trees. Um, but I think a really targeted approach to uh, investors that you know have expertise in your area um, works a lot better. Mm, okay. Um, and, Lachlan, another question. Um, some I think often founders, they. Um, uh, wondering how much of a company should they give away, um, and there might be a perception that the investors want to take a lot of, um, you know, a big equity stake in the company. So, as a rule of thumb, um, what percentage of a business should a founder give away to investors? Yeah, so I think the key metric that's missing in that question is the amount of money, um, uh, because I think it, I think it does depend. Um, I suppose if you're looking for a rule of thumb, um, in a transaction which gives the company a reasonable amount of money um, to achieve 
a reasonable set of mm. predefined goals and milestones um, that everybody agrees is going to create value. Um, probably about a third of the company is what mm. the, the whole syndicate of investors would expect. Yeah. Um, that varies wildly, investor to investor, company sure. to company. Um, and But I think with, with that rule of thumb, there's also some other key provisos. Um, investors are actually not looking to take as much of the company as possible. Um, we, we won't want the key people, you know, the founders and, and whoever else is, mm. is a key person in developing this to remain incentivized. Yeah. And so we want them to wake up in the morning thinking, how do I, cre- how do I um, increase the value of these shares? Um, because yeah. that benefits us also. Um, we also own those shares. So yes. it, there's, there's a number of kind of competing principles. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, we have a philosophy that we want um, all the key people in our ventures to do well alongside of us. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it's things like uh, dilution over time are carefully managed and planned out. Um, mm-hmm because you want to make sure that everybody does well and it's a successful event. Yeah, yeah, I think um, it's quite important that, um, you know, from your perspective, you want to make sure the founders remain incentivized and that they will continue to, uh, to, uh, to work hard to build their value in the business. Yeah, yeah. But New Zealand's early stage capital market is kind of maturing on, on this topic. Um, mm. We're still a far cry from the US where valuations are a lot higher um, and they have an ecosystem consistently developing you know, unicorn billion dollar companies. Uh, so valuations in New Zealand are, are lower and uh, because of that and uh, uh, but are steadily increasing, I think. Mm. And um, what do you think a founder can do to get the most out of its board? Out of its board, uh, board of directors, yeah. So investors. Yeah, I think okay. Yeah, board composition is important mm. um, because you need to have a variety of skill sets, mm. um, uh, and I suppose it's it's what those skill sets are and, and how many different people from different backgrounds you need is, mm. is company specific. Um, but an early stage board. Um, uh, you need to make sure that the board members understand that this is more than just a traditional board role. Um, I think mm-hmm. in New Zealand, there's a there's a, 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 a you know set of governance professionals who are used to private uh, sorry public companies and, and larger companies in New Zealand, and, and their attitude towards governance is is the traditional one, which is I suppose uh, eyes in hands out. Um, Whereas early stage companies, I think board members are expected to take a much more hands-on role, um, and that's that's usually required. You know, the, the key management people require um, a lot of help at all times. Um, uh, it's it's a it's a long and stressful journey for most companies, um, and so as a founder, I'd be looking for uh, individuals who understand that and. Mm-hmm that those probably aren't the same individuals that come from a traditional governance background, um, but probably individuals who have an experience in building uh, early stage startup companies themselves or have experience in being uh, board members of those companies. Yeah. 
Um, and, and Lachlan, this is a question for potential investors out there. So for anyone um, looking to invest in New Zealand, um, you know, what, what, should be the, what should they be looking for in the kind of the tech sector in New Zealand in, in general? And in particular, um, why should they consider investing in, in or investing through Pacific Channel? Yeah, well, I was going to say I'm biased on this. All our, mm. our companies are great. Um, yeah. uh, we're currently raising a fund. If anyone's interested and uh, you know wishes to take a portfolio of these investments, um, but you know there is quite a few options out there. Um, and I suppose your question is, is loaded towards foreign investors. New Zealand has a fantastic mm. investment immigration scheme, um, mm-hmm. and we've previously. Uh, helped a number of investor immigrants move to New Zealand yeah. uh, with investments in either one of our portfolio companies or, or our fund, which is an immigration compliant fund. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, the the what you're looking for, I think, depends on the background of the person. Um, early stage investment is risky, so mm-hmm. uh, we, we we generally don't advise people to put more than probably 5 or to 10% of their net worth into mm. private early stage companies. Um, mm. That's that's kind of general portfolio construction rules. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, in, in addition to being high risk, it's also high return. So mm. it can be quite rewarding in a personal sense as well and, mm. and building these these businesses to create uh, impact. Mm. Uh, last question. Do you have any kind of cautionary tales of uh, corporate governance failures that uh, founders and investors should be aware of? Mm, oh, yeah, a few. The trouble's kind of picking one. <laughs> um, <laughs> I suppose a broad point on that is is in early stage companies especially, um, most of the directors have some kind of vested interest. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll generally put a, a director on a board when we make an investment um, uh, and, you know, that director is sure acting in the best interest of the company, but um, I suppose is also supporting that investment. Um, often the research institute or university as well will, will, will be doing the same thing on the other side, so they'll have a director supporting their uh, uh, spin-out company. Um, so I think a lot of the corporate governance failures I've seen have been uh, as a result of those conflicts of interest. Um, right. And so it's important, I think, as a mitigating factor to have uh, independence on the board as well um, uh, to, to really resolve any issues or conflicts. Um, these things are only an issue if they're not managed um, and identified. Um, so it's important to be upfront about them from the outset. Uh, uh, you know, structure into the documentation, uh, arbitration around these things um, and make sure you do have independence at the board so mm, that yeah. uh, nothing ever blows up. Mm. Can you give an example of that conflict, like specifically what that may be? Because my, my, in my mind, I would assume that everybody wants the firm to grow. So in that sense, everyone should be on the same page. But obviously, yeah, yeah, so so what does that conflict look like? Well, I can't name the company, but we did have one where mm. the founder's father um, was also on the board, um, right. including the founder. Um mm. And the purpose of that, we soon realised, was uh, you know for them, for the, the, the father, just to support any vote that the son was putting through. Right. Um, and you know, it was presented to us in the beginning that this was for the best interest of the company, but it became mm. pretty readily apparent a few boarding board meetings in that that was not uh, right. <laughs> really the case. It was a power right. thing. Right. Um, 
so so that kind of uh, blew up um, uh, when I suppose the, the there was a there was a situation where the board disagreed with management um, on a strategic issue. Uh, and I suppose when I say the board, I mean the the, the, the board members that aren't weren't the founder and his father. Okay. And uh, yeah, there was a conflict there, and I think two of the board members were were actually speaking as as voices of management and, and founders rather than mm. directors acting in the best interest of the company. Right, right. Okay, well, um, thank you, Lachlan. Is there anything else that um, you can tell the listeners in terms of if they want to get in touch with you, um, you know, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, so, I mean, we're constantly looking out for uh, people who can help us and our companies. Um, we've got 31 companies now in a variety of areas, um, so it's probably too too long of a list to, to name on, on this podcast. But if you're interested, check out our website and there's a full list of companies um, there in a variety of areas. Please, please do get in touch if you think... Um, any of them interest you or you think you can support where we're generally looking for you know people to become involved in these companies all of them are pretty much hiring after our investment um, uh, and we're also looking for other investors so we, we typically co-invest into these companies if people wish to invest in them directly um, and also Pacific Channel is, is constantly looking for investors into our funds itself so get in touch if you do think that that is something that might suit your um, investment preferences Great. Well, thank you, Lachlan. And as I said before, you can find more about uh, Pacific Channel in the show notes below. Um, and do feel free to get in touch with uh, Lachlan. Um, well, thank you so much, Lachlan. Thank you for your time today. Thank you, Kenneth. And thank you to the listeners. Thank you. Bye-bye.